0: Welcome back. Welcome in. Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza. Chris Anderson, I'm going to throw a hot potato to you here. Are you ready? I am ready. Today's Friday. Tomorrow's Saturday. Tomorrow is the start of a four-game season for West Virginia. Thoughts?
1: The most important four-game stretch of the season, maybe. Uh, The one that will decide whether West Virginia is above 500 or below 500 by the end of the year, period. I mean maybe a, maybe more than that, but bare minimum it's gonna decide if West Virginia is above five hundred.
0: I'm not discouraged by certainly the fans are and the coaches are. I'm not discouraged record wise and ultimate fate of the season wise by losing on the road to Oklahoma State. Um, we and I mentioned we both had that pencil in as a loss early on. You're one and one now, and I think what's maybe the, the lingering the hangover from that game against Oklahoma state was that it was there in a lot of the things that West Virginia prides itself on. We're going to be the most improved team. We're going to be smart, disciplined, and we're not going to beat ourselves. We were really good at zoom and that's going to give us an advantage when the road meets the rubber, right? Or the rubber meets the road mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. So you kind of pin the balloon there and you lose some air and you're like, Oh boy, and you got to pick yourself up and you go into this stretch here where Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech, Kansas State. West Virginia is somewhere in that group of four in the final standings, and it's right now whether they're at the bottom, in the middle, or above those four teams. I don't think that we thought the fate of this season was going to be decided by games against Oklahoma State, Texas, Oklahoma. I would throw Iowa State in there because West Virginia has shown it doesn't have a way to beat Iowa State's defense, different coaching staffs the past two years. So those four teams – not really relevant. These four teams, absolutely, you would probably throw TCU in there as well, but that's after Texas. These next four games, really, really significant to this season and also to the climb. It's a, uh, it's something that needs to get footing and start moving here. They've talked a lot about getting better and getting better. This even goes back to last season, where hey, we're not going to lose these games again. We're going to learn from this, and learn from our mistakes. I understand it's a tough opponent in Oklahoma State, and they make you pay for their things, but that game was there, and that's what they're telling us, that they should have been better than that, and they weren't. Um, boy, they repeat these things, and they pay the same price against some or all these four teams. You begin to wonder, if they do learn, and they keep the memories in their pocket, and they start to cash in on some of these experiences, and they go rung by rung over Baylor, over Kansas, over Texas Tech, over Kansas State in the standings, I don't know if we're saying that they're going to be 5-1. and one. They could be. But man, a four and two team, a five and one team, all of a sudden you got something.
1: Yeah, whenever Neil Brown is talking, there's a thing he keeps referencing at at, at the stage of where our program is, at where our program is, or the stage we're in, and and, and comments like that. And you kind of he hasn't isn't saying this next part, but I'm kind of extrapolating, it, and I'm thinking it myself if the quote current state of the program is still not as good as a kind of in shambles Kansas squad or a struggling um, Texas tech team that, you know, also has a second year coach and is replacing a lot of players and a Kansas state squad that yes, just upset Oklahoma, but is also replacing a lot of players an all new offensive line and a second year head coach. If, you know, if that's not where you're at, at least, then there's a concern of where we are at in this climb that, that, that we keep talking about.
0: Yeah, I don't mean to derisively use the term climb. I think it's their their verb, um, their noun, if you will. So I, don't, I feel all right using that. But consider this. We're talking about four-game sequences. I'm not putting it on the fate of the program on this sequence here. But you would feel very different if West Virginia had followed up a loss to Oklahoma State against this. At Texas, home against TCU at Oklahoma. Excuse me, home against Oklahoma at Iowa State. If those were the next four games, you would not be optimistic, right? Those are probably mm-hmm. losable games. But the way the schedule worked out, and we talked about this early on when we got the revised schedule, there's a chance to get really healthy here and to distinguish yourself from that thick pack in the middle. Um, I think that they're maybe not prepared right now to take on those final four teams. They better be prepared to take on these four teams because here, here's what we have Neil Brown, year two. Dave Randa, year one. Less miles is less miles at Kansas in year two. Texas Tech year two, Kansas State year two. You've seen Kansas State take out Oklahoma. Texas Tech gave Texas a big-time scare before gagging. And Baylor's coming off an 11-win season that's rebuilding but has recruited well the past few years, has a good staff. Don't know much about that. Not impressed, not deterred by what I saw from the first game. But all things equal, these are four teams that are in a similar situation to West Virginia.
1: Yeah, definitely. If, if if it were the other way around, you're looking at something like Oklahoma last year, or excuse me, October last year, when West Virginia rattled it off, well, it was it Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, all those games right in a row, and, and things went south real fast. So this needs to be one of those where you string a couple wins together and build some momentum before you head into those big games.
0: It begins with Baylor, noon, Saturday, ABC, a home game, the last one without fans, we think. That's the plan, at least. Uh, what do you think about capping? the audience at 15,000. They could pull the rug out. I get that. But they also said no more than 15,000.
1: Was that no more than 15,000 for this game or for the rest of the season?
0: Remainder of the games, the cap is 25%.
1: Mm, I'm okay with it. I mean, I think it, shoot. I didn't, I didn't realize that it was like a hard cap, no matter what, like no revisiting, but I guess, I guess you want to, don't get too wild. You don't want to get too wild and think everything's fine and, and open up too much. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal.
0: What do you think about Baylor? Um, again, didn't see a lot, but we know a number of the players from past experiences, and we know they probably have a respected head coach who's going to lean toward the defense. Their offense um, has a veteran quarterback and a lot of talented skill players. A um, really interesting team coming off in 11 wins. season, but also turning off a lot, not only on the staff, but on the field, especially on defense.
1: Well, it's 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 a strange situation, and we're gonna I, I'm gonna play out for our try to spell it out for our listeners here what went on right before we got on and started recording, because we started talking a little bit about this, and I know last week we kind of went in depth on on some scouting things, some tendencies for Oklahoma State, and, and all these different things, and that was easier because Oklahoma State had so much talent returning, and Baylor's kind of the opposite, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And they have all new coaching staffs. And so when you're trying to find those tendencies, try to find those stats. We don't where do you look? And my first thought of where to look was, yeah, I looked a little bit at last year's matchup with Baylor and, and a couple of the individual players for Baylor, especially on defense. Not too much there. And then I delved into what about Dave Aranda's defense last year for <laughs> LSU? What what was what happened in those games when he was at LSU? What what did other offenses do well? When, um, when LSU tended to give up points, and so I went that angle, and then you kind of pulled up. Just, I didn't. I don't even know how I didn't think about it, but you brought up the fact that Neil Brown has beat Dave Miranda at LSU when Neil <laughs> Brown was still at Troy. So then you pulled up the advanced stats from Troy versus LSU, and lo and behold, offensively speaking, at least the game plan's identical almost like between what <clears throat> troy did in that game and what the teams i'm going to talk about did to lsu's defense last year and found success it's identical and i don't want to say that's also what west virginia does well some of it is what west virginia has done well but some of it we also didn't see at all last game um it, Do you think West Virginia – well, I guess before I ask you if you think West Virginia can do it, I guess we should talk about what it is. And most of that is attacking the middle of the field against the defense.
0: Yeah, we'll probably extrapolate this point a little bit more because I think it's very important, the vertical passes and especially the outside throws. um, Because sooner or later, some team is going to say, you're not beating us inside and we're going to fan things out, we're going to cover, I guess, inside out. Right now, they've got two receivers who showed a skill for getting open in the middle. TJ Simmons and Winston Wright, um, and when I look at what happened in that game, they had to because they were what do we say, over eight and deep throws, right. not going to do it. Um, I do think the teams are not the same, the personnel is not the same, and I can't say I watched a ton of 2017 Troy, and even the stuff that I went back and I looked at when Brown was hired, it was mostly like 2018 because that was his most recent stuff. Um, 2017, you look at the LSU game and their bowl game in particular, and I, I do see some similarities. They had a pretty savvy quarterback. An okay running game, like a pretty good running back, um, in Chun, who, who just bombarded LSU and they, they ran the ball and they thought they had a better offensive on the LSU had a better defensive line, um, but again, we have sixteen completions in twenty four passes in the middle of the field, uh, no completions in three attempts on the outside against LSU. That's Aranda. Does Dave Miranda have the same defense right now? I bet you he's got his thumbprint on it. It worked. They won a national championship. That's why you hire the guy. He doesn't go fifteen and zero and come in and change the stripes. So I do think that there is something to that. Um, There was one or two games in particular last year where LSU's defense had a hard, hard time. One is Ole Miss. Have you seen the numbers in that game? It's ridiculous, but that was mostly with a running quarterback that just doesn't exist in the situation. The other one's pretty interesting. You found this one out and we can apply that to what I just said with the 16 out of 24 passing in the middle. um, What about the 2019 schedule and one matchup that we
1: should know about? Well, there was there was two that I took note of. The, the biggest one, though, of course, was Texas. Um, 14 of 16 and three touchdowns when throwing the ball short or kind of medium middle. So anywhere between zero and less than 20 yards in the middle of the field between the hash marks. 14 of 16 and three touchdowns. And then the added part that, again, we we, we didn't really see from West Virginia. I haven't seen it yet this year, but nine of nine on screen passes in the middle of the field um of course those are high percentage plays but nine of nine i believe it was for like 80 yards so you're getting good chunks of yards off that as well
0: they don't have a Devin duvernay on west virginia's roster he caught 12 passes for 154 yards and two (laughs) touchdowns that was his big that was his big moment last year where he became an nfl player i think i mean he, he obviously was but That's when people said, holy cow. And then he put up a monster season, but he was too much in the middle for them last year. And I don't know that Winston Wright can make that comparison or TJ Simmons can make that comparison, but I think there's something there. But Texas Ellinger RPO stuff and the evaluation of Seth Seth Dagie, Jared Dagie's RPO was that he made good decisions. I think some people made a bad effort, but also that, you know, some things weren't on him that, hey, you pull it and you read. Initially, but then all of a sudden the play is covered up and you can't get it there. And he missed a few. And, and Neil Brown said his feet were sloppy on some others. But I do think that that middle is very inviting for so Simmons on those posts and those drag routes if the RPO game is
1: popping. Do you think? Um, do you think? is there a screen game still for West Virginia? I mean, I, yeah, you mentioned a lot of RPO, and we've we've seen other. Types of the offense, other ways, not not full on RPO all the time, but I, I'm struggling to recall a screen game for West Virginia at all, really, even last year.
0: You know, to halfbacks it's a pretty rare feature in an offense now. I think because you can get it out so fast to the perimeter to better players. I think you'd much rather have Sam James catching a screen than Letty Brown. Sam James is better at it, um, better receiver better threat with the ball in his hands, I think, faster, more elusive. And I'd much rather have him, you know, two on two, one on two outside than kind of doing that weird jailbreak where you're asking your quarterback to backpedal, take a deep breath, you may catch one in the chin, lob it over the, you know, rushing defense, hope it doesn't get tipped, hope your guy doesn't bobble it, hope your offensive line is situated in the right spot. That's such a hard thing to do, never mind practice. Um, I, I find that that's not a very common thing in college football anymore, but it really does work when you can pull it off. Um, I just think that the perimeter game is such that maybe that's a better way to do it. It doesn't mean that you can't pick people apart with those hot potato passes in the middle where you catch everybody, you know, sweeping around the corner. That still counts as a middle completion. That's what some of that damage behind or at the line of scrimmage is too. I do think it's a hard thing to get going, and I can't even remember West Virginia running a half pack screen. I'm sure they probably have in the past, what, 14 games? I can't remember one, so it doesn't distinguish itself in my memory.
1: I can't either. I'm trying to remember maybe one of those early uh, Kennedy McCoy or Letty Brown receiving touchdowns last year, but I don't even think that was a screen that might have just been, you know, just coming out of the backfield. So it's they, they'll have to get creative because apparently, uh, according to these stats, according to these analytics, these scouting reports, that short middle is open against this defense.
0: And absolutely, that's what they go back to. Um, Brown had one game, I believe, against the defensive coordinator, uh, Ron Roberts. Um, he was the defensive coordinator, uh, played Lafayette and won 26-16. Probably won with defense that day, but I'm looking at the stats. Um, 18 out of 22, 317 yards passing. Pretty good. We liked their quarterback that year, too. But rushing the ball, they had success, too. Or not as much success, just 40 out of 110. So they passed the ball pretty well that day and made it work. But I think that's one thing you pull up. They had at least an effective game plan. They married their offensive defense there. That might be a better indication of where West Virginia goes. One, because it's more recent. And two, because I think that if you're West Virginia, you're probably not trying to get into a shootout with anybody right now. Um, and it looks like they played that one with their defense. Their defense was pretty good that year. And, you know, one with 26 points. Uh, granted, they won with, what, 24 against LSU, I believe? Yep. So, oh, here is, you probably expect something low-scoring, and he's got two games he can look at
1: there. Do you think this is going to be a low-scoring game, though?
0: I do. It has been for, for a while now, too. Um, if you take away the 2018 game, three of the last four games have been decided by three points or less. Only one of them got into the 30s. So, I, I think that neither one of these teams is going to smoky on offense. If I had to pick one or the other to hang up 35, it's probably Baylor just because the quarterback's experience and they have really good skill position talent. That said, I don't think that they're significantly better than West Virginia. So if one gets up in the 30s, I don't see why the other couldn't because I think West Virginia has a better – I would say this more continuity on defense. I just – I like Baylor's defense, especially what I saw last game.
1: Well, and that might be all we have on that Baylor defense from last game because I believe – at least compared to last year's game against West Virginia, there are eight new starters. And I believe there's actually nine new starters because there was somebody that was a spot starter for that game against uh, WVU last year. And including six of the front seven, all brand new, uh, Mm -hmm. new cornerback, at least one new cornerback, a couple new safeties. It's, it's all new guys out there, new scheme, new, pretty much everything. So it, yeah, I asked I asked Tim Watkins, our guy at at our Baylor site, our sister site for Baylor, if there was a little sense of kind of what we felt when talking about West Virginia and the Eastern Kentucky game. How much can you take from that? How much are you really taking from that first game? Uh, because again, Baylor is playing Kansas team that we have seen already is not is maybe worse than your typical Kansas team. So I'm curious to see what Baylor might actually be like come this week because right now all we have to go off is that Kansas game and I'm not I'm not falling for that I don't believe it um, <laughs> no, I, I gotta see him do it against a decent team and I think West Virginia is a decent enough team that you might be able to actually gauge how good Baylor is Okay,
0: yeah, Ebner's not going to return to kick for touchdowns and if he is Jeff Coons should probably leave town so <laughs> I'm sorry Jeff uh, I'm pulling up the 2018 game Troy against Lafayette middle passes between the hashes
1: uh-huh.
0: 11 for 12 159
1: yards. Like, I, I'm telling you, when I listeners when I when i I say this, it, I, it was just something that I had, I had found for a couple games last year, and then Mike thinks about that game, pulls it up, it all jives together. Now I pull that game, that jives together. When it kind of strings together like that, there might actually be something to it. So maybe it's something to pay attention to.
0: So very different situations as far as preparation for West Virginia. You're getting ready for a defense that, again, I think is good. And I'm going to pull up something that Pro Football Focus said. They're, they're previewing the game on their betting line. And they have a paragraph here that, I don't know, it arched my brow. I think the Baylor's defense is very fast. It plays hard. i like the scheme a little bit based on what I saw. And it's easy to make Kansas with a true freshman quarterback look bad. Here's the paragraph. Baylor's defense is superior to Oklahoma State, and it's on a different planet entirely than Eastern Kentucky's. I don't at all disagree with the latter there. Superior to Oklahoma State's is interesting. Now they're going off their analytics and they're, you know, what they do to put their numbers together. That's a starchy statement. Um, especially if you watch Oklahoma State and you digest the praise that many people have heaped upon the Cowboys. That makes me sit up. The trouble is, what we say, nine out of eleven starters are different. Um mm-hmm. They have some transfers in. Their returning starters are very good. Terrell Bernard and Riley Tejada. That's a linebacker who makes a ton of plays and a cornerback who I believe just follows your best receiver around. Looks like to me he's played both sides of the field. Um, Really active player. They're both all-conference-level players, but everybody else is kind of new. Trouble is, they've all been program guys, like one or two transfers. Um, One was a high-impact player at Arkansas State. But everybody else has kind of been in there for a while and knows what to do. They fly around, they play really hard, they're big, they're strong. They've had great strength and conditioning program success for many, many years. I do think that when you start fresh, like they are, returning starters doesn't even really matter because even if you have eleven people back, if you have a new coach and a new staff, you kind of have eleven new starters anyways. So it's kind of negated. Um let's break down their defense though. We're talking matchups here. Uh, you really did nail some of the offense matchups for, against Oklahoma State's defense last game. I think some of them are probably similar this game too. Where do we begin if we're talking or thinking about the offense for the Mountaineers against the defense of the Bears?
1: I want to say, again, this, it's, it's tough just because there's so few guys that played a lot last year. And mm-hmm. one guy, I'm looking at the, uh, numbers from the first game they were the cornerbacks graded out horribly uh texada caleb barnes who starts on the opposite side and barnes backup mark milton um, all three of them graded out not, not great like uh, i think milton was was one of the worst barnes was down there uh barnes got in the game against west virginia for s- some snaps he didn't start uh this is west virginia last year and one of the handful of snaps that he was in on and one I only think twice that he was targeted was the George Campbell 83 yard touchdown pass so again limited limited snaps can't he hasn't been out there that much he hasn't started that much um but in what little we've seen that seems like a weak point uh for Baylor something that West Virginia could attack and again maybe I'm I'm trying to hammer home the point too hard of going for that second cornerback. Maybe that's how it is for everybody because it's it's hard to have two good cornerbacks on your team. Much you know, so I don't know if Texada is good, uh, or he's certainly not as good as the Oklahoma State duo that West Virginia faced last week. But if you could try to pick on Barnes, if you could try to get a third nickel corner out there, I think that's when you're going to really spread them out and be able to do something.
0: Yep. Um, is a nice player, I think. It's just that I, I just don't remember seeing him against Kansas at all. They're just and I watched that game live, and I watched it in kind of a quick replay, and I don't remember him at all. But um, he did match up against Wheaton last year. Wheaton caught three or four passes that were thrown at him against him, and Wheaton didn't play a ton last year. He happened to get into that game and made some plays. That was kind of a hopping-off point for him. Um, if he lines up and he sees number three, I think he's going to have some confidence, and that is certainly something that West Virginia has talked about that, you and I, and whomever's listening, Chris, might see Wheaton and see that he dropped a pass. That should have been a huge gain against Eastern Kentucky, that he had a ball overthrown by Daggy. But then I would say dropped the pass. That was a pass interference, but it hit him in the chest. That looms large because it should be first and goal at the two or three yard line. Instead, it's a 15 yard penalty. You got to work a little bit more. You got to make a couple plays. You don't. The red zone's a struggle right now for West Virginia, it looks like again. And they kick a field goal. They really are happy with Bryce Wheaton, though, and they kind of say, yeah, he's missed some opportunities, but let's focus on the fact that he's getting opportunities. I like that. Pick a guy up when he's down. Keep his star shining when maybe it's getting dulled by the outside influences here. You liked him a lot last game as part of the matchup here. It seems to me, again, that he's going to have to have a big game, especially they're going to improve on 0 for 8 on vertical passes. Ooh, yeah,
1: I that that would be my go-to guy for that guy that's going to match up against Barnes. But again, we talked about the middle um and how big that can be against a Dave Aranda type defense and that and then a Ron Roberts defense. And that's going to be TJ Simmons and Winston Wright. Like I, I I'm not trying to sound like a guy that's that's fading Sam James here or or doubting him, but he's getting some tough matchups these first couple of weeks. And I think it's best that um You know, Dagey looks to spread the wealth around, and if you're trying to pick a a wide receiver that's really going to make a big impact, I think you're more likely to find it from your second, third, and fourth receivers in these instances.
0: Yeah, big time for Winston Wright. Ran some excellent routes. He had great balance and footwork. It seemed to me that he read the defensive backs about as well as you can on the plays that he got up and he made plays. I wonder if you start jamming him, maybe, and you start treating him like a 5'10 receiver, and not like a guy you don't know about because now you've seen him catch a ball and do like a 4 4 on you yeah, and pull away from some fast defenders. So I, I do wonder about that. And then, you know, TJ Simmons has to be big and he has to play a big part in the middle there. It's a nice compliment with those two guys. Simmons is that slot guy that can be physical, can work off jams, can make contested catches. Nothing against Wright. He's just not designed to do that. They want a guy like him to be kind of a, kind of like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right word here. Shifty is probably the right one. I think that sometimes demeans a guy's overall skill, Um, but he's a guy they took a shot deep down the middle with, and if you've been following the program, that's a Jared Parker thing. He likes to go vertical with his slot receivers, too. 70-yard touchdown, that was a short pass. They did take a shot with him down the field. just didn't work out, too. You're talking about the slot corner, the slot covers guy. Watch out for Jalen Petrie. Um, I really thought he was excellent against Kansas watching him, Um, one of their top creative players. He redshirted last year. He started a bunch of games as a freshman. He's a junior now, but so he played two years, sat out, played four games of redshirt. And he's a safety linebacker guy, one of those high reds, but he's six foot, two hundred pounds. He really runs. And he had his hands all over the game. He played 17 snaps in the slot and you know was able to cover some things and break things up. But his grades against the run and tackling, 86 and 84, 76 on a blitz. He got a pressure, he got a hit. Uh, seven tackles, two tackles for a loss. He had five run stops. He had a pass breakup. Uh, and he came from different sides of the field, too. He blitzes. They they kind of use him as an attacking part of things. Who's sometimes disguised as an attacker, but sometimes disguised as a slot corner or a slot coverage guy. Got to keep your eyes on him and see where he goes. Number eight's a good player. And that's a matchup you're talking about there. Um, is he shifty like a cornerback? No. Can he hang with Winston Wright? Probably not. But he may find himself... Hovering above right and trying to figure out, all right, how do I contain this guy? And similarly, how do I make it look like I'm covering him, but I'm blitzing too because he comes at different angles. And they pressured a bunch against Kansas. True freshman quarterback, I think they were surprised in the first drive. The kid has some juice. Once they buckled in, they were they were good to go on defense, and they sent a lot of heat at Kansas. Does that worry you at all? If you're West Virginia?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it, it's that the tackle spots are going to be a concern for me. They're going to be concerned for me until they prove that they're not, and 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 it's not going to get proven in just one game. So it's going to be something that lasts a while. Always going to be something to watch. Always going to be a matchup that that is going to be key for West Virginia. I think you can argue it's key in any game for any team at any time. But with the two tackles performing as poorly as they did in the first in the first real test the, against Oklahoma State, um, it, it, it's going to have a spotlight on it until they prove otherwise.
0: Let's talk about that left side. Terrell Bernard's their best defensive player, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, he had pass rush on nine snaps. Seven came from the left side. Um, if you're Junior Zabu or you're Brandon Yates, you better get ready because that guy's coming at you. Arkansas State transfer, William Bradley King. He was an all-conference player in the Sun Belt. Um, 15 sacks in two years, eight and a half last year. So he's been pretty steady for two years. He blitzed 17 times. They have him as like that. Almost like a bandit. you know They play in the even front with like sometimes that fourth guy who hangs over, similar to West Virginia. But they used him nine pass rushes on the left, eight in the right. So he's going to come from both sides. They sent six defensive back blitzes. This is something that their defensive coordinator likes to do. Um, Lafayette was known for this. It happened last game. They blitz corners. Um, the short side of the field, when you're on the boundary, watch out for that corner. And if it's especially if it's on the left side, you're going to have to communicate some things with your back. Your receiver is going to have to let him know, hey, fire, fire. Here he comes. Your left tackle's got to get ready. Your running back has to get ready. Don't um, blitz those safeties. do blitz those cornerbacks, especially on the short side of the field. And I think here for the left side, if you're a committer, if you're Usable or Yates, you probably should expect to have some duress during the game.
1: Sounds like a lot more tight end blocking to me, Mike. You think we're going to see a little bit more of that tight end coming over in tight cut in uh, you know tight formation, helping out? I, well, I think do- they have to they have to get more help.
0: Where do we stand with that? Because they played a lot. I thought Banks was good. Maybe not. A Lachlan out-snapped him about 2-1, to one, even though Banks started. But even if, they played about 30 snaps at a tight end. And they played a lot of empty backfield 5-wide stuff, which is kind of counterintuitive if you're thinking about how are we going to block, how are we going to hold up against the pass rush. I guess the idea there is that you're going to have to commit defensive backs and second-level blitzers to cover receivers. So, yeah, that works, but sometimes their three or four beat West Virginia's five and they had to hurry.
1: That's tough, tough decisions. Cause uh, again, I, as soon as I just said, boy, they need to get that tight in there to help block or maybe a running back to help block. A lot of us, what I just said a few minutes ago, of getting an extra receiver out there to help get that third or fourth cornerback on the field, because that's where their weakness is going to be. So I do not envy the situation that um, Jared Parker and, Neil Brown are in, and, and that's, that's what happens when you're weak at a position as you know as important as tackle. So.
0: Do you have a solution? Do you think we'll see something different where they bounce a guard out there, or do you think they're going to roll with who they have at least for another week? It seems like there's not enough time to reset right now, but between now and the next game, you have an open week. Perhaps this is a last spin around the block for some of these guys before they start messing with the actual alignment of the personnel.
1: Yeah, you read my mind. Uh, next week's a bye week. You 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 stick with it right nope. now. Open week. Open week. God, hey, take that up with Neil Brown. Um, <laughs> it's an open week, and I think that that's when you you sample around. You try a couple of different things. You you move guys around. Move a guard outside. Move John Hughes to the left side, and somebody else to the right side. Whatever you think you need to do. But you give him one more chance um, and see what happens this week because you don't have enough time to make a change like that. I don't think.
0: Uh, last fun on offense, they got to have the real Sam James, right? We haven't seen the real Sam James yet. Yeah, he, he got a go route right against the Eastern Kentucky corner and five catches, 72 yards. He didn't start that game um, and then was pretty, I wouldn't even say average. He's below average. Even Jared Parker said he struggled. Um, four catches, eight targets, 22 yards. Didn't get vertical at all. 0 for 4. How about this? 0 for 4 on vertical throws to James. Every one of them was broken up, which means that he couldn't get away from the corner and he couldn't win a 50-50 ball. Um, I'm looking at what happened against Kansas again. Freshman quarterback, right-handed. He's going to see the right side a lot, obviously. Through 11 passes to the right side, seven complete, 82 yards. Sam James plays the right side. If they're going to heat you up from the left or they're going to heat you up, period, again, right-handed quarterback, right side of the field. James is very good. Um, this seems like a game where they need him because sooner than later... Uh, it would help. And again, do you know about Wheaton? Is it going to be concentrated in the middle for the offense, but also Baylor's defense? It just seems like if you can spread things out a little bit. James is not only a great option to do it, but now's a good time.
1: Yeah, if he can get behind the defense, that's great. I think uh, the issue is sometimes, and I this might be by design, but there was a couple games where he was just catching – you know, seven passes for thirty yards, and that's that's not going to cut it. Getting a three-yard, four-yard catch is not going to cut it unless you're going to break the big one. So I think um, it's important for him to. There's some guys that catch it short and can make it a long a long play because they could beat that guy and get out. I, Sam James strikes me more as the guy that can burn past his man and catch it deep rather than catch it short and beat his guy.
0: Interesting, you say that, Chris. You mentioned Kalen Barnes. Mm-hmm. probably one of the fastest players in the country
1: <laughs> perfect per- well he's, didn't he's, you say but didn't you say well texada is if he's if he's a whatever however you phrase it but the corner that will shadow him then maybe he's just maxing up with uh texada the whole time all so right
0: that conversely if you're gonna put speed on speed, you don't want James to true at the top. Are you gonna run a guy who ran a hundred and ten point oh four as a high school senior, and who's still on the Baylor track team? Yeah, I think That's I think I, if I'm matching if I'm not going left, right, boundary field, if I'm matching up, and I think they might do boundary field. Honestly, I don't know. I didn't watch it that closely, but I may be wrong here. But if I'm matching up, I'm putting my fastest guy against James because I want to take that away from him. I want to see James be able to run routes, be precise, and you know, post me up and body me out and work for 50-50 balls, I don't want him running by me. And I kind of think that the fast guy can do that, whereas need a more physical player who, by the way, can long stride and can get past you. He can muscle you. He can speed you. He's gotten open a couple times. Maybe that's a better better spot for Tahata. I don't know how that's going to work. I'm very interested to see how that one goes. It seems like a, a big matchup for me here too. Um, you want to flip the offense here? Let's do it. Um It begins and ends, I guess, with Charlie Brewer. It feels like he's been there forever. Serious um, Perry Ellis potential there. But good news he's a senior. He could be back next year, I guess. Um, Boy, when he gets time, he's good. And I think he's got good scope position players. Trouble is his offensive line. Similar to last week for West Virginia. This is where the lesson will be learned, perhaps. And the lesson will be applied to the field. But really kind of a new offensive line that I think is going to be motivated because of Darius Stills. But also, it's probably going to be under siege to some extent. And then handing it off isn't a bad idea. John Lovett's led the team in rushing for three years. Edner's very explosive. Uh, seems like they can spread you out a bit and do a bunch of different things.
1: I think the biggest thing we need to watch, at least for the pregame, is who's going to be playing for Baylor's offensive line. They uh, missed three starters in the first game, one due to suspension, the other two due to injury. Um, obviously, the guy that was suspended, that was for one game, so he's expected back. I believe that was uh, Xavier Newman-Johnson and mm-hmm. – then the other two, uh, Burton and – how do you pronounce it? Bedair, Bedair, do you pronounce that. Um, they are both expected back, according to Aranda, as of Thursday afternoon. Um, he said on his radio show that he is expecting, quote, planning on it for all three of them being back for this game, which really could you know help shore up that offensive line because when I was looking at the analytics, again – um, there seemed to be some glaring strong suits and some glaring weaknesses with it. And again, this was last game when they were missing three starters, so maybe it's uh, it's a moot point. But um, they were the exact opposite of Oklahoma State. Uh, they struggled to run it up the middle in the first game, averaging two yards, one yard, three yards, two yards uh, between the tackles. And then once you got outside of the tackles, it was uh, – just a field day for those guys, a uh, big chunk yardage, 10 yards, 13 yards, five yards. And they really like running to the right side of the offense, left side of the defense. Um, more than half of their runs were to that side of the outside of that guard. So something to keep an eye on something to, uh, kind of scheme for, you know, I'm certain that the, the staff knows most, if not all of these numbers, so they're probably scheming for it, but, um, could be some interesting matchups, especially on that right tackle to kind of left defensive end spot.
0: Something else to watch, too, is Jake Burton. He's a Pac-12 transfer at UCLA, one of those guys who actually did leave once the, the conference that we're not playing. He showed up in August, um, played a bunch of games at UCLA. And the game notes for Baylor, and tell me how weird this is, um, is expected to move into the starting lineup at right tackle soon. Guy hadn't played yet, and they're saying he's going to move into right tackle as a starter soon too. Um, it's funny you mentioned the right side, and and it did happen. They were really good. They stretched things out to the right side. They and they let their guys gash backing and up, and you know those guys are fast. They find a hole they can go. Their left guard, left tackle, and center, they played every snap, um, and they combined three guys at right guard and right tackle. Their starting right tackle played almost as much right guard as right tackle, and two other guys spelled at right guard and tackle, but. Um, I thought that was an, an interesting thing as I was watching, and then I saw who played where, and I was like, their left sides better. I don't know how much different it's going to be, and I think if you're West Virginia, you got to assume that there's going to be some sort of a growing pain there. And boy, if you can expedite things and, and kind of you know, hurry things up or get in the backfield, and just you know, make hay—that's that's significant because you know, right or wrong with the tactic against Oklahoma State, we've already had that conversation, but I think we can agree that if they had just made a few more plays if they had disrupted things more, if they had just had some more push or some better design. I don't know what it is, but the defensive line certainly probably came up short. Maybe the defensive front, too, probably came up short in affecting the game the way they wanted. Uh, How they do that, I don't know. That's a good situation here, but it doesn't sound like Van Darius Cowan will play. I don't know that you pencil in Jerry Bartlett based on the way he played Saturday into the starting lineup. They don't have Bryce Brand. And now, since Tony field is pretty securely situated as a starter in the middle, I, I wonder it. if say it. I wonder if Dylan Tonkries your your backup Mike slash Bandit, or if he starts a Bandit.
1: Yes, I think he should. Um, and I know people probably listen. Be like, wait, aren't you the guy that's been saying that that, that Tonkries shouldn't be starting? at Mike shouldn't be doing this. That the Bandit spot and a little bit of the wheel spot. That's his wheelhouse. That is. His issue, at least from my point of view, when he, especially when he's playing the mic, is he's kind of on his heels because the mic linebacker is not as attacking as the Will and the Bandit. They're supposed to kind of stay in the middle, uh, not observe everything. They are supposed to attack the ball, but they aren't moving forward before the play. They're supposed to react after they see which, which way the play is going. Well, meanwhile, the Bandit position, you have a set... You're moving forward. You're moving forward before the play even starts or as the play begins, which I think gives him that extra push forward, gets him into the backfield, and I think he is much better suited for that position than Mike. Now, I mean, do I think he's better than, say, Van Darius Callen? No, probably not. But I think he is, he is going to do well if he gets moved out there.
0: Do you think we'll see any other changes on defense? I don't think it was bad, but I think that they're looking for – a little bit more of an impact impact here or there and when i say changes i'm not saying personnel maybe someone plays better as a result of not playing great um i my, my, i'm asking this because here we are again and i don't know what they can or more importantly will do to change the script
1: um ideally I
0: mean, they played 19 people on defense 19 people
1: yeah and and This is kind of what we talked about after the game against Oklahoma state is what can you do, or this might've been during the Q and a, uh, on Monday, but what can you do with two just completely raw cornerbacks out there? How much do you trust them to be on your own, on their own, on an Island? And my answer is you don't know till you find out and you can't sit there and treat, you know, you can't handcuff your entire defense Because you're afraid of what might happen to your, your, you you know, your young cornerbacks, your inexperienced cornerbacks, you got to get after it. You got to put them on an island. You got to throw them out there and let them try to figure it out on their own. And if they can't figure it out on your own, then you adjust. You can't, you can't play it soft because you're afraid of what might happen to your cornerbacks. You got to let it happen first, and then just afterwards, I think.
0: Yeah, man, they played, they played Nick Troy, Fortune, Alonzo Adai, and Sean Mahone every snap and brought in subs effectively for the other um, eight players. 19 guys is going to get it done, not for the, the course of a season. And here's the thing. The people who they didn't play were saying, oh, they didn't play this guy. They didn't play this guy. Um, Brand is one. They frankly missed that. But they didn't play Daryl Porter. They didn't play Jaido Favorus. Those are true freshmen. They didn't play uh, Sean Martin. He wasn't eligible. And it sounds like he's some time away still from being ready to go in a game. That's a true freshman. They didn't play Taurus Simmons. They did play Eddie Watkins. It's a true freshman. Um, these are all newcomers here. They didn't play. They played Jackie Matthews one snap. Uh, that's a junior college transfer. My point here is I think that gunshy isn't the right word, but like you're saying, you don't know what you don't know right now. And you kind of have to learn sooner or later. And maybe this is a game we start to see it. Certainly you kind of hope that some of those guys are ready to go by Kansas. They make the most of that off week, open week, but I'd love to have them on the field and have some stuff on tape Saturday and then use that during your time off to see if they're actually ready to go. What do we got to work on? What do we have? What don't we have? Because, really, let me ask you this Who is a junior or a senior that is in a spot to be a backup that isn't playing right now? No
1: one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if there is one. Jake Long? Yeah, maybe.
0: Tay Mayo? Didn't play last game. Didn't travel last game. So I'm assuming he wasn't healthy. Or it was a coaching decision like like Sam Brown. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so glad we wrote all these glowing stories about Sam Brown. And we were hooked on how he was going to play. And all of a sudden, he's a coaching decision. He doesn't play. Hopefully, that he's got his act together. Because they could use him outside. They could use some more, some more bursts outside on offense there, too. Um, let's go to Brewer. I think he's, like, the hardest player in the Big 12 to get a read on. I don't think people respect him. Because he doesn't put up huge numbers. But he wins. Like, he wins a lot of games. Um, I have a trivia question for you if you're ready. Yeah, go for it. Two FBS quarterbacks returned this season who passed for 20 touchdowns and ran for 10 touchdowns last season. One is obviously Charlie Brewer. Who's the other one, Chris?
1: I think, did I see this before? Is it Sam Ellinger? No. 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 Um. I don't know. Tell me it's Trevor Lawrence.
0: No, let's say this. He's not playing, but he will be playing.
1: Oh, uh, what's his name from Ohio State? What is his name? Uh, Fields. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, okay, that got me there, obviously. Uh, But it kind of hit me, too, before the season when I was ranking the quarterbacks for one of our countdown pieces, and I was going through, and I was like, I can't believe I keep sliding Charlie Brewer up because there's no way he should be fifth, sixth, or set. You know, there's some young quarterbacks in this league, Spencer Rattler, Max Dugan, uh, Spencer Sanders, all guys that are young and have shown some flashes. But if you're asking me who I want for a full season in the big 12 at quarterback, like Brewer might be second out of all, oh. everybody in the league. Well, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. Do you like that? No. Are you? No. Oh, you want if it first. Say it. No, say it. Go ahead. It's okay. No. It's okay. Go ahead and say it.
0: No, I don't. I don't. That's I, a good question. I mean, we're, like we're talking 2020 guys right now. I, I mean, it's a good thing, but I can think of three guys off the top of my head that I want before him.
1: Oh, say them out loud. Go ahead.
0: Oh, well, I definitely want. I mean, oh, I, I don't I, think he's. I, I forgot. Purdy, I had Purdy. Purdy's one. Ellinger's one. Rattler's one. And to be honest with you, I, I like Bowman. I'm not sure that I want Mr. Intangible. Charlie Brewer and more. Now, granted, I probably want him more than, I mean, let me ask you this. What's the difference between Brewer and Daigie? Is it experience and just stats and credibility build over time? Or is there something that's markedly different between those two?
1: No, I think that's it. I, I think, I, I think when all is said and done, Daigie going to probably be looked at similarly to Brewer, but it question back at you. Can you win the big 12 with Charlie Brewer?
0: I mean, I almost did last year. They ran into, okay. you know, another Heisman trophy winner at, uh, or I guess a finalist. I guess at Oklahoma, who won the Heisman last year? It wasn't Hurts, was it? No, no. Do you know who it is? Or are you forgetting too?
1: I'm forgetting too. And, and
0: oh, Burrow. We, we both speaking of random.
1: We both freaking voted on it, so I hope so.
0: Yeah, Ooh. I mean, lost to a pretty good offense. It got to the championship game too. Um, the thing about the thing about Brewer that's that's interesting is I think people think of him as a running quarterback. And they're doing some run stuff with him. Like, there was some quarterback power stuff and, like, clearly, clearly zone read stuff where there was no need to give it to him. But I think if they tell him on tape, hey, we got these guys pulling for you, the lead, go. They were doing stuff where were, it was a read where the guards are pulling left and the read goes to the right, but he could follow those guys. He kept it a couple times. I don't know how many times you want him running like that and taking hits. I think if you tackle him Saturday, you make a count. But he does his danger stuff when he's scrambling, too. Um, I was looking at his numbers. 14 of his pass attempts last game came when he had more than two and a half seconds in the pocket. Everybody's good when they get it out quick because things are open. They're not getting pressured. Guys tend to slide a little bit and they don't take as many attempts when you have more time in the pocket. And especially a guy who runs, you figure if he gets up and the the clock's going off in his head and it's a 2.2, 2.5, you're going to run it. Um, He did have five runs and picked up a lot of yardage on this 37 yards, Uh, three design runs. So, Almost all of his runs are, again, on his own volition. But he also passed it 14 times when he had the two and a half or more seconds, which means he's comfortable and he's accustomed to doing that. But it also means if you're West Virginia's defense, you got to push and strain. you got to overwhelm the guy because you're going to have a chance. I mean, a lot of plays end up with the ball in his hands and him trying to do something with it, and it's not necessarily vertical shots. It's him trying to come back to something, or it's him thinking about running. He breaks the pocket, and he makes something happen with his feet or his arms. They've had mixed success against him in the past couple of years. He's gotten hot a few times. I don't know how you deal with him because, again, he's efficient when he does stuff like this.
1: When he got hot, would you say hot enough to make your blood boil, make the defensive lines blood boil, Mike?
0: It's got to be there yeah. again, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't what they wanted the first, the second game. It's got to be better the third game, right?
1: It has to. It has to because that's – the The counter to you know my comments earlier of hey, get after put those corners on an island and get after them. if your defensive line is as good as you think it is and and again i'm I'm here saying or I was here before the season saying as good of a defensive line since two thousand ten, then you shouldn't have to rely on sending the house to get pressure on the quarterback. You should be able to get that with the three or four that you're sending.
0: They knocked him out of the game in 2018. That game was out of control. West Virginia was honestly about as sharp as I'd seen them offensively, defensively, and they just overwhelmed him. But I believe he came off the bench in 17 and almost like that comeback. 8 for 13, 109 yards, two touchdowns, knocked out in 2018. And then last season, again, only 17 points. He was 20 of 26 for 277 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and again, he's, he's a streaky player. He gets hot and he can put up the big numbers on you. But again, not really a 300-plus-yard guy. It seems like a guy who's going to maybe combine for 300 yards with his legs and his feet. But they're 8-3 and three when he gets a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. That's a lot when you think about a quarterback, 11 games with both. Um, and a good, a good indication of where he is. Uh, I kind of feel like the better quarterback wins this one here. Is that too
1: simple? No. And I think that's kind of, you know, it falls along the line of, well, look back at Oklahoma State. If Daggy has what, how would you grade it out? Daggy's day against Oklahoma State. Let's start there eight a to half. To uh,
0: I I really can't forgive some of the stuff. I think he held on the ball too long in the strip six and yep. he missed Wheaton on a touchdown pass.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know play calls, and I don't know on, on reads where he's not allowed to give it and when he's supposed to keep it. Those are things we don't know about and we're guessing. Um, good. Not great, good, not bad. Uh C, a solid C, I would say. And you could trend towards C minus if you wanted to.
1: Okay. Uh agree agree completely with the grade. Applaud you for your hedging. That was fantastic. Um that's Mike being <laughs> Mike. <laughs> yeah. But uh I completely agree with your grade. C minus. If he's a B plus, West Virginia probably wins that game against Oklahoma State. If he's a B plus against Baylor, West Virginia probably wins that game, too, is, is, the, is the long story short I was trying to get out here.
0: I mean, let's say he stays at the C. If he's 21 for 37 for 347 yards and two touchdowns, you win that game. He was 20 for 37 for 285 yards and one touchdown. The difference is he air meld Wheaton on one play. Yep. And I think you, I think there's a good argument to be made that they win that game if he connects in that pass with Wheaton. That that's that's putting a whole lot into one play when they had what in excess of 90 snaps, and you consider the penalties, and they did a whole bunch wrong. It seems like it's foolish to say that they deserve to win it when you make that many mistakes. But you're probably playing pretty well if you make a ton of mistakes and you're one less mistake away from really threatening a ranked team at home.
1: The life of a life of a West Virginia. Football fan, huh, Mike?
0: Yes, just read a book (laughs) about this. Let's wrap it up here. What we've been doing at the end of these, the final two games, I'm a, I'm a very flashy over two on this. Well, I guess not because I said last game the pressure, whether they got it or not, would be a part of the game. I'm not sure that was the determining factor because I think Oklahoma State just took it away from him. But a lot of people have talked about the game plan on defense, so at least it's topical. Give me half credit for that, I guess. I believe you mentioned Wheaton was your guy that we'd be talking about. Yeah. and you put up ridiculous numbers for him and he fell far short, but certainly had a chance for the spotlight. So we're again, we're seeing minuses too, I guess on those, but Hey, who or what are we talking about after the game that I don't know? Maybe we have mentioned, maybe we haven't mentioned, but certainly it's going to be part of the conversation based on performance or lack thereof.
1: The stills brothers. I'm going to take, I'm going to jump in front of your pressure and I'm going to pinpoint it on these two. One, uh, this was the team that Darius Stills, for, for those who forgot, this was the game that Darius Stills completely dominated this offensive line and then went on, not on national television, but spoke to the ESPN reporter on the sideline and just completely called out the Baylor offensive line mid-game and then followed it up with a couple more sacks and tackle for loss and, and just continued to dominate. I think he does it again and because I do believe I do believe they were pissed off last game and it didn't go as well as they had hoped this time. I think they're going to have a little more opportunity. I think they're going to come out red hot and Baylor's going to try to, and the reason I am I'm, I'm adding in Dante here one, because he's um, he's very good uh, future NFL player, but also because Baylor remembers what happens last year. I know it's a new coaching staff, but uh, you know, they're still going to watch that film from that game. And they remembered darius stills just eating them alive and i think they're going to try to scheme to avoid that and dante stills could take advantage as well
0: i like it that's a good point i can get down with that one okay um that was a midweek game right
1: yeah wasn't that a thursday
0: so i guarantee that all the coaches who are coaching baylor right now are watching that game and going oh my god what a bunch of clowns at baylor and now they're coaching baylor because you, ha- you cannot have a defensive lineman do that during the game. So that was a Thursday night game that I would bet you most of those people saw live and probably had no idea they'd be coaching that team right now, too. That's an interesting dynamic. I like it. That's a good one. Uh, I, want, I want to give one thing that I think is going to get some attention here. I, I kind of liked what I saw from Jalen Thornton last game. What
1: would you think? Okay.
0: I, I just I, thought, I, like, I, I thought he I, earned more playing time and, and didn't get some calls or breaks, and I thought he was close a couple times, and he just looked sharp. He looked like he knew what he was doing. It wasn't flashy. no. I mean, no, nothing really big as far as stats, but I thought that late in the game, you're rolling with guys who you're you're relying on that last drive, and he was out there, and, and again, not his fault. He probably should have gotten at least one penalty on one play. There was another play that was very close. He was affecting things. I think he earned more snaps, and again, if we're talking about pressure or whatever, this, those are going to get a lot of attention. Jeff Pooler's got to hurry up and get going here. Um, Thornton looked like he was a player to me. If not now, then certainly in the future. I want to I spotlight that one there. I want to go Petrie versus Wright. I'm not sure how much time that they'll spend one-on-one, but Wright's got to have a good game. Like That can't be a one-off thing for him. That's got to be more of a expectation than exception. Is he going to get 120-plus every game? Is he going to hit a 70-yard bomb every game? Probably not, but he needs to be target often. He needs to compromise the defense. He needs to put eyes in there because their outside has to get better, but he's going to probably find... Petrie a lot in the slot. That's just the way they play their defense. It's a 4 5 You have that guy who's a half and half, and Petrie's a good player. I mean, it looks like from one game, they figured out that he can do some things in, in a pretty odd position, and if you can't take advantage of that matchup there, he's going to run rough shot over again. He's going to make plays off the edge. He's going to get in the backfield. He's going to blitz. He's going to mess up your offense, unless you can make him pay. So the final way to make him pay It may involve right. It may not, but again, you can't let one guy beat you when he showed on film that he's got some punch.
1: I'm down for that. I'm down for that. It's not as good as mine, but I think it's pretty good. Never is. <laughs> All
0: right. Let's let's uh, let's wrap it up here, Chris. Um, rest of the day, Saturday morning, what do we have left?
1: Uh, we will have expert picks from around college football on the game. I'll have some more pro football-focused things for the three key matchups. Uh, Saturday morning content recap and uh, noon game. So we'll kind of get, obviously – to uh to game time stuff earlier in the day than than last week
0: and no pressure we have a two game streak of breaking news before the game that we've owned so i don't <laughs> know what we're going to have up our sleeve uh i may send the uh cmz <laughs> my, my my version of tmz out and to see if i can find anything salacious
1: there uh, tonight
0: before the game starts but uh yeah by the numbers facts and figures about the matchup coming up got the fresh set tomorrow morning with stuff that we have and, and more importantly have not talked about so End of the week, the week's still got a lot left to cover, too. And it's funny how that happens. It's, it's pretty cool to have sports back, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's a good, uh, good situation to be in. And hopefully soon, you know, no hiccups with football. We'll find out for sure tomorrow. But usually when it comes to the travel stuff, we find out about games getting canceled on Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, because that's when, you know, those tests come back. And um, knock on wood, hopefully nothing, you know, late Friday morning that might mix anything up.
0: Yeah, didn't want to mention that, but since you did, uh, you can knock on wood. But the reason Baylor didn't play the the first game was because they didn't have enough offensive linemen. And they could have had enough to play the first game, but they didn't want to unsuspend the guy who was suspended and who's going to be eligible, obviously. So they didn't play. Um, You keep your eye on a team like that because if it can go so sideways once, it can go so sideways again. Right now, I think everything was good on Wednesday from the last I heard. Cross your fingers and hope that they get on that plane and they fly from Waco to Morgantown. Or, guess yep. Clarksburg. Clarksburg, Pittsburgh, I don't know. They fly east, and we have sure. a game at noon on Saturday. Uh, that'll be it, Chris. That is all for this time. Until next time, I'm Mike Casazza.
1: And I'm Chris Anderson.
0: We'll talk to you later.